Grab your Bibles, will you? Just real quick, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> I don't typically tell you where I'm going when I, uh, when I um, uh, start my message. I like to keep you hanging. But I'm just going to tell you where we're going to go at the very end. Um, at the very end of the message, this is where we're going to go. I'm going to invite as many of you that are willing to come and join me in the altars. And we're going to be asking God to pour out his spirit as he did on the day of Pentecost. If you missed last week's message, it really kicks off what today's message and the series that we're getting ready to get into is all about. It's about Jesus and him being the central feature. Jesus. It's about Jesus-centered and spirit-filled. That we would be a church that's Jesus-centered and spirit-filled. That we would be individuals and families that are Jesus-centered. He's our immovable center. That we, everything we do is, is about him and for him, for his glory, for his honor, to point others to him. And we're going to do that empowered by the Spirit of God because we're spirit Filled. I want to spend some time in the book of Acts. And we're going to work through the book of Acts. And it may be a little different than other books of the Bible that we work through. We may not go verse by verse by verse. But there's something. We have an agenda. Here's our goal. Is we want to look at the book of Acts. And we want to see how can we be a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled church. How can we be a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled individual? What does that look like? Now, some of you may remember... Um, there was a really short series that we did a while back. It was called The Gospel of Luke. Now, some people in the audience are laughing because it actually took us four years to get through that. And, and I didn't, when we started the, the book of Luke, that wasn't the goal. In fact, there was a high school student who came up to me at one point and said, you know, we've been in the Gospel of Luke my whole high school years. And I was like, I can't think of a greater book to be in than the Gospel of Luke. For four years, we've studied it. Let me tell you what I really sense the Holy Spirit connect the dots. All kidding aside, I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit set us up with that because we needed to understand who Jesus was, why he was here, what he accomplished, the importance of Jesus and Jesus-centered. And then we jumped into 1 John, and that God was in that as well. As we learned what authentic faith looked like, as we learned what, what, what it really, that, that authentic faith, the only way to have authentic faith is with Jesus Christ at the center. And then we get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really the second part of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So you got the Gospel of Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit. You've got the book of Acts. It's like the second part. It's a companion to the Gospel of Luke. And listen to me. Here's where we need to start. As Luke's second volume opens, here it is. The church doesn't exist. Can you imagine with me? Can you imagine? This church, does, it doesn't exist. Scott, why are, why are the lights out? It's because the church didn't exist. There, was, there, would, would, there would have been no Pathway Church. There would have been no Crystal Valley Missionary Church. There would have been no Faith Baptist. There would be no River of Life. There would be no, no, no churches, no First Baptist, no, nothing. There'd be, not, there wouldn't even be a Second or a Third Baptist. There, there, there wouldn't be a United or an Ununited Methodist. There, there was nothing. There was nothing. Listen, as we start the book of Acts, I need you to get this. 
We need to see this. The church didn't exist yet. Jesus, oh, there were synagogues, Jewish synagogues, and they were still going to synagogue and stuff like that. But the church as we know it didn't exist. But God had a plan. And as you read the book of Acts, you know what you'll begin to see? You'll begin to see that at the very start, there was no church. But by the time we get to the very end of the book of Acts, they, the, the, the disciples and the apostles and all the followers of Christ had taken the gospel message and had planted churches all over. And they had made it all throughout the Roman Empire and had even made it to the, to the city of Rome. The gospel had made it. How did that happen? How were they able to do that? I'm glad you asked. So let's turn the lights back on so we can see. <laughs> and grab the notes, will you? Grab the notes. I'm, I'm guessing, I, again, I, I should have checked. Are there notes in the back of the seats? Grab those notes, will you? Because really quick, I got two blanks. I know some of you are like anti-notes. I just, I'm waiting for the spirit to move my arm and just... No, no, no. Come on, grab the notes, grab a pen, and I want you to fill this in. Before Luke gets any further in documenting the rapid spread of the gospel, he brought out two important indisputable facts in what really serves as an introduction to the book of Acts. There are two important indisputable acts. In fact, in your notes, I think there's some blanks there. The number one indisputable fact, and if I didn't put blanks, forgive me, but the number one indisputable fact is of Christ's resurrection is the first one. Christ's resurrection. And we're gonna talk more about that in a second. The second one is this, the indisputable presence of the Holy Spirit. And apart from these two important foundational, strong foundational uh, uh, pieces, the church would be without hope and would be without power. And what was true for the early church is true of us today. If we don't hold on to Jesus Christ as the center, and if we don't hold on to the infilling, the empowering, the spirit-filled life, we will never accomplish the purpose and the plan that God has for us as families and as a church. First thing is, is Christ's resurrection. I know you know this. I know it's not Easter Sunday, but can I just remind you that Jesus is alive. The apostle, uh, excuse me, Luke made it very clear that before we can go any further, he wanted to establish the fact that Jesus was resurrected. Look at it, verse one, chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and teach. What's his former book? Gospel of Luke. Keep going. Verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. After his suffering refers to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And during the days after Christ rose from the dead, he showed himself to many of his followers. And I, in fact, in your notes, I'm not gonna go through them all, but there's like 11 different places in scripture where we see people, we see people that saw Jesus, that interacted with Jesus, so much so that even at one point, there were 500 people that saw him. And why is this important? He wasn't just an illusion, 
It wasn't just a ghost floating around at that time. He literally was resurrected from the dead. Jesus was not just a ghostly presence. Instead, these were solid, visible, undeniable proofs. Notice it says he gave convincing proofs. Let me just show you, let me convince you here, this is really me. I'm not just Casper, the friendly ghost here. I am Jesus, the one whom they crucified and put in the tomb, and I rose again. I'm alive. Scott, why is this so important? Because everything we believe, if there was no resurrection, there's no need for us to be here today. The indisputable proof that we see that Jesus rose from the dead is central to the, gospel, or to, the, to the book of Acts. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then nothing that proceeds from this point on in the book of Acts, or the New Testament for that matter, would make any sense or make any difference in people's lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Can you go to 1 Corinthians? Is that on the screen there? Yeah, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Well, I got good news for you. He was raised. He is alive. And there, there is hope. The grave is not where our life ends because of what Jesus Christ did for us today. Now let's look at verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, Eating with them, eating with them. Isn't that something? He gave them many, many proofs that he was who he said he was. It's so much so that after he was resurrected, he ate with them, eating food, ingesting. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the time he ascended to heaven, the disciples had been confronted with the clear truth that, unfortunately, they were lacking in power. But notice something. The Lord never intended to send them out powerless. The Lord never intended for his, to send the disciples, the apostles, all these people out, just, hey, good luck. Hope it works out for you. No, his plan all along was, I want to empower you. Oh, we believe in the centrality of Jesus and that, uh, that we, Jesus-centered, but there needs to be that spirit-filled, that spirit-filling, the Holy Spirit of God filling us up. In the Gospel of Luke, all through the Gospel of Luke, you see it over and over and over and over again listed. Jesus, John the Baptist said, Jesus, here comes Jesus. He's the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus is talking. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Scott, I want this Holy Spirit. Let's ask him this morning. Let's ask him to fill us and keep filling us and overflow in us over and over and over again. You see it. And in, in Acts um, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In a few days, in a few days, the disciples would receive the fulfillment of this, process, of this promise. Look in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, let's stop for a second. Verse 6. 
I don't want to answer a question that none of you are really asking. But I'm getting ready to answer a question that none of you are really asking. Because I want you to know the why. Can, can you think of, of things that, man, ever since I was a kid, they've been saying this was going to happen. And it, you know, this, ever since I was a kid, you know, they've talked about a bypass around downtown Middlebury. The traffic's horrible on Main Street. Have you ever been through there in the afternoon? Ever since I was a kid, they've talked. And now they're getting a committee together to talk about how, okay, what could we do? And, and we all know when you get 15 to 20 people in a room, that's when you get the most work done <laughs> on a project like that. Main Street's... There's hope. But listen, you think about something that you've been told your whole life. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's what all of the, these Jewish disciples with that, that Jewish upbringing, this is what, what they all, they, all their lives they've been taught, that the kingdom of God was really involved in Israel. King God, King God was Israel. And they had been taught to expect a Messiah who would come and revive that broken nation of Israel, of Hebrews. And really, I don't want to get in the weeds here, but you remember when we talked about some stuff from uh, the Old Testament, but there's, there's two tribes. There's Judah and Israel. You know, they split. This is the tribe of Judah that we're, we're, we're seeing right here. And they thought that that tribe is going to be uh, returned to the kind of glory that it saw in the times of David. Now, do you remember reading in the Old Testament when David was king or Solomon was king? And boy, it just seemed like, man, the kingdom, it was great. Everything that was happening, it was just exciting. And boy, there's a lot happening. And that's what they thought it was going to be returned to. So when the Messiah came, they were taught, Messiah comes and, and they're, they're gonna, he's, he's going to uh, have the king's crown. And he's going to have the high priest's robe. And we're going to set up a kingdom here on earth. And even at this point... Jesus is days away from ascending into heaven. And even at this point, those closest to Jesus still were struggling with that. With, Jesus, I'm so glad you came back to life. We thought that whole kingdom thing wasn't going to happen. And Jesus like, oh, it's going to happen, but it looks differently than you think. Oh, don't get me wrong. You read the rest of the book and you'll see, oh, it's going to happen. What, what I just explained to you and what they had been told their whole life... Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen literally. But for right now, Jesus is saying, I'm, my king, I'm going to encourage you to let my kingdom come and my will be done here on earth. Establish my kingdom in your heart. Establish my kingdom in, in, in the way you live and starts with repenting of your sins and getting your life right with God. That's when his kingdom is established in your life. God's not done with Israel but Jesus will fulfill all of these Old Testament promises, but it's not going to be the way that they thought. And so they, he says, this is what it's going to look like. Look at verse 8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's where we get the title of the message. Power for what? What is this power for? What do we need spiritual power for? This is where we get this, 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 the message title today. Power for what? You know, the, 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 the word here, I'm no Greek scholar, but the, the dunamis is the, is the Greek word. But if you, if you study even deeper to the original word of that, that I know, uh, dynamis is, is where it comes up to. But here's, here's what I want you to know. 
I've been studying this as a good Pentecostal charismatic boy. I've been studying this for years. I mean, like, I went to the, the epitome of, of the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal charismatic Bible colleges. I've, I've been drilled Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 my whole life, okay? But I've never seen just this, this thought of when you, when you dive a little deeper into the word power, it, it was, it, it's this idea. Ready, ready, ready? It's all the power you need for whatever you need it for. It's, it's, it's I'm gonna give you power because my ultimate goal, Jesus says, is that you're witnesses. My ultimate goal is that, that you take as many with you as possible. And so in order to do that, I'm gonna give you power, power to be a witness for whatever you need. For, so for instance, in this, in this room today, we, we need electricity. We need power. And so uh, when we plug these, these lights that are flashing up on the back wall, you plug those in, power comes, and the light goes on. That's one way of power. Another kind of power was this morning, my vehicle needed gasoline. And, and so there's gasoline that, that causes the combustion to happen in the whole thing in the engine, and, and it makes it go somehow. That's another kind of power. And then, I don't know if you noticed or not, but Josh so nicely... Brought my podium up here. Do you know Josh needed some power to lift that, that podium? I didn't even notice it was missing, but he kindly, nicely brought it and he set it here. For, there was some manpower there, right? I mean, there's muscle. They're in the nursery today. Some of you, they're, they're picking up your babies and they're holding them. and they're play, There's a power. There's an energy that's needed, a power. That's needed. And what, what, what this is saying is if you need power to, to defeat a giant... He's got all the power you need. If you need power to, to cast a devil out, he's got all the power you need. If you need power to heal you, to set you free from sin, that, that bond, whatever kind of power, you, you need power to be a parent. You need power to know how to parent your little kids when they're, or when they're this age or when they're out of the house. You need power. You need power of the Holy. I just want to tell you, that's, that's what we're talking here. God's like, I, I want you to be witnesses. Jesus is like, I want you to be witnesses. I want you to bring as many as possible to the kingdom. I want you to bring as many as possible with you to heaven. I, I want you to share the gospel. I want you to bring people to a place of repentance. I want this all to happen. But you need power. You need power. Before, and I've got all the power you need. Listen, I'm, I didn't plan on that, but some of you, you're sitting here today and you hate yourself. Really, you want to be a bold believer. You want to be a, a Christian, but you are so struggling with this sin or that. You prayed the prayer, you've given your life to Christ, but there's some areas of sin in your life that you're still struggling with and you're wondering, will I ever get victory over this? Will I ever be able to not give in to that? I want to tell you something. God's got all the power you need. He has the power for you to overcome. Let's pray today. Oh God, send all that power. Send uh, not for my glory, but for your glory. Send your power. I want to be. I want to overcome. Some of you are facing the battle of your life right now with your health, 
with your relationships, in your family, with your kids. You're facing the battle of your life. I just want to encourage you today. God has all the power you need. Let me talk just about one thing, and then we're going to pray. One, three, one thing with three parts. It's kind of like God, the Trinity. Uh, one thing with three parts. This isn't in your notes, but I encourage you, keep your pants, your pants, your pens. <laughs> Your pans. If you happen to bring your pans with you today, gonna do some cooking. Keep your pens handy and jot this down in the white space. Uh, this is the one thing that I'm just. Uh, there's so much I could say today, and I'm, we're gonna say it over the next few weeks and months even. But this is what I want you to get: um, uh, power, power to do what? Powerful, power to stand. That that really power to stand. Just power to stand. Power to stand, power to stand. It's the idea that we see in Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to firm, stand firm, stand. Power to stand in what way? Jot this down, will you? Number one, power to stand in the face of persecution. I know we're in the, Amer- the United States of America. I know we have freedom of religion in this, in this nation. But if that were to change, and if, we get, if push comes to shove, and I, I'm not talking politics here, I'm not talking masks or mandates, although I think some of those play into some of this, but here's, here's the deal. I'm talking like persecution because you believe in Jesus and you believe he is the one true way, the truth, and the life. That we're persecuted for our faith. We need power to stand. The church at this time was entering a time that would prove to be the most difficult to be a Christian. We forget that. You see, we read the book of Acts as I I do and you do, and we think, oh, Lord, send your power. Oh, yeah, this is great. Wouldn't it be great to see signs and wonders and miracles? And we'll get there. It's great, absolutely. But realize the persecution. They were not liked. Are we ready for this? Believers would die or be beaten as they were persecuted for following Jesus. Now, I'm not a prophet prophet of doom and gloom. But are we ready for that? Are we willing to stand? Acts chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Then the high priest, I'm going to read it right out of the NIV here. Verse 17, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the... Notice it was... I, I don't have time to go to but Who were members of the party of the Sadducees? These were the religious elite. These were, these were religious people. I'm telling you. I don't understand, I'm, I'm studying it, I'm looking at it, but I don't understand the whole binding and loosing thing that the gospel's talking about. I know maybe you have it all figured out and you can send me your stuff, whatever, but I'm just telling you, I, I, I don't completely understand that. But if there's anything that needs to be bound over Middlebury, over Elkhart County, over this region, it is a religious spirit. And we need to stand against that. And that's what you see right here, that religious spirit coming through the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in in the public jail. But during the night, this this just cracks me up. This is the way Jesus works. 
Oh, I gotta keep reading because it's to me it's too funny. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of the new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, they had been told, and began to teach the people. If you read on, you'll see that everyone's like, Where are they at? I don't know what happened to them because the doors are still locked and the guards are still, we don't know what happened. You know, it's like Barney Fife, you know, right here in Acts chapter 5. I mean, don't know. Otis took off. He got out himself. I guess he must have let him out. I don't know. But they didn't have the key like Otis had. So we need to watch more Andy Griffith here. It's very theological. But get this, get this. Um, and, and, and then they see him teaching in the temple courts. But the persecution... It's like they were jealous of them, and they threw them in jail. We need to be prepared to stand in the face of persecution. You think about the Apostle Paul. Do you know before the Apostle Paul was, was converted, he, his goal was to put every Christian and the people of the way, followers of Jesus Christ, uh, to, to, to see them dead, to see them beaten, to see them taken out. In chapter 9 of verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Before Saul, Paul, same guy, before he got saved and had that Damascus Road experience, this was, his goal was to persecute Christians. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, let me just point something out. Deacon Stephen, Deacon Stephen, and that's not a lower, it's just a different call because we, he wasn't even an apostle. Because see, what sometimes can happen is, I, I get it. Oh, Pastor Scott, everything you're preaching, you're right. I hope every one of you pastors are praying and you're believing God that if persecution comes, we'll stand. And you pastors need to be full of the Spirit. I hope, listen to me, all of us need to be full of the Holy Spirit. All of us have a call of God on our lives. All of us need to be fulfilling what I'm preaching about today. We need to be Jesus-centered and Spirit-filled. I want to, I, so, so much so that I want you to hear me. God wants to be able to use you to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. We, we call for the elders of the church and I'll tell you why I think James says that. The book of James says, call for the elders of the church, have them pray the prayer of faith, lay hands on and anoint them with oil and, and make the sick person well. Why, why did, because if there's anyone in the church that ought to be full of the spirit of God, that ought to be able to touch heaven on your behalf, it ought to be the elders of the church. But I don't think that means that the only people that can pray for people that are sick or that need help are the elders. They ought to be, but all of us can pray this. So here's Deacon Stephen, full of the spirit. He was a deacon. He was his main job. He had just been given this job of feeding the widows and making sure no one's overlooked. Deacon Stephen. He ends up getting. Uh, he was a man of full of the spirit and wisdom, and he was stoned to death. And we talk about persecution. That's persecution. Are we? Are we? Are we ready to stand up to this? Jesus knew the difficult times lay ahead for his followers, and he wanted to make sure that he was prepared. The Romans, they didn't like Christians. And the reason they didn't like them is because they declared that Jesus was the only way, the truth, and the life. And they're like, that's too, that, that we, there's many, they, 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 they were too, they, it was too exclusive. And so they hated them, they were jealous of them. And so at the beginning of Acts, with the creation of the early church, Jesus was equipping them with something for the worst of times that Christianity would face. He's equipping him with the power to stand in the face of persecution. Now, let me just ask you something here. Can you think of anywhere in the life of a Christ follower today that is getting a little hairy to stand on? 
When the government or your boss or your teacher or professor requires you to believe, teach, or embrace something that goes against scripture, threatening you with the loss of a job, how will you respond? I went to college for this. I, I, I put my whole life into studying and preparing and, and, and being able to do whatever that is that you do. But then your boss says, listen, the only way that you can do, I, 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 I'm glad you have the education and you're prepared to do this, but I'm just telling you, if you don't follow this edict, this thought, you're out of here. What are you gonna do if that edict, if that thing they say doesn't line up with the word of God? Now, is that persecution on a smaller scale than having your life taken? But it affects your income, it affects your family, it affects everything. So yes, it's absolutely persecution. All the way to Sean Foyt. I don't know if you followed Sean Foyt. I don't even know what to call him, a pastor, worship leader, uh, evangelist. I don't know, but this guy, the past two years, he's gone into some of the most um, riotous situations and he hasn't stood there with a sign saying, you guys are bad, but he just set up a, a sound system and he starts leading worship. He goes to Portland, Oregon. He goes to, in the midst of the BLM stuff that was going a year or two ago and, and all the cities that were in uproar, he's been traveling from city to city to city to city, Minneapolis, city to city, going all these places. And he just sets up the sound system, his team. They go in there, preach the gospel, worship, lead people in worship, radical absolutely radical. You read his book, book Bold, if you want to. But this is what he says. You would not believe in the United States of America how many letters he got saying the horrible things that, that were going to be done to his wife, to his daughter, to his children. Even life threatened. His life was threatened. Why? Because he's just taking the gospel into the inner cities, taking the gospel into places where nobody else wants to go, even you and me. Is persecution here? In some areas, absolutely. In the United States, it is. Are we prepared? God wants us to be prepared. Let's keep going. Power to stand for truth. The truth of the word of God. Power to stand. Note the kind of message that Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, preached in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2. I'm looking at verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. I remember my friend Bob Eby. He was here a couple weeks ago. He, he, we, we were in college, and every time the other team uh, playing basketball, we, we'd go to a basketball game, and Bob was the one that would lead the cheer, and, and he'd, it would be one of these cheers. When the, when the other team would foul one of our guys, he'd lead this cheer. He'd say, who did it? And then the whole rest of the cheer section would say, he did it, and point right at the guy who fouled who did it? He did it. Who did it? He did it. Don't do it again. It was hilarious. And that poor scrawny little guy from whatever college, scrawny little guy is taller than me, I'm sure. But, but anyhow, they, the, the other team would, would get the message, don't do it again. They'd be intimidated. Hopefully that was the whole idea. And that's, that's exactly what, every time I read this, I think of my friend Bob Eby saying, who did it? You did. The apostle Peter, he's saying, who did this? You put him on the cross. I got a feeling that if Peter were alive today, people would have to filter his Twitter feed. <clears throat> I mean, his social media accounts would be, because he's just so bold. But there, we need to be bold. When it comes to the truth, we must stand for the truth of the word of God. We must stand for truth. 
And a couple of verses later, look at verse 38. Peter replied, well, just start coming to church and we're going to gather together. And after a while, you know, we'll baptize you and all will be. No, this is what you need to do. What does it say? Repent. Come to the understanding that all of us are sinners, including Peter, in need of forgiveness. So he says, you need to repent, you need to be water baptized, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see a pattern starting there. But this is, this is, Peter didn't care. He stood up for the truth. When others who, listen to me, when others who value inclusion and acceptance as a higher value to be held than biblical truth, we've got a problem. Do I need to say that again? When others in the name of Christ value inclusion and acceptance as a higher value than biblical truth, we've got a problem. When some in the name of Christ bend and form the gospel to fit their own version and want to call it orthodox Christianity, we've got a problem. When we try to line it up with traditionally held evangelical Christianity Bible truth, we've got a problem. We must stand for truth. Can you think of anywhere in the modern world where we're being forced to stand for truth? Taking a stand on anything revolving around sexual sin is one area. You get called all kinds of names if you stand and, and you still say that sleeping with anyone that you're not married to, it's sin. Even in the, even in the, in the church world, sometimes we get pressured and people say, well, is it really that big? It's sin. Let's just call it what it is. Um... When we ask simple questions of a local library, can books that mention homosexuality or sexual discussions that we deem inappropriate for our young elementary school kids, can those books at the library be marked differently or maybe put in a different area just because we'd rather our elementary school kids aren't confronted with that? What's the response? We're screamed at. We're told how hateful we are. We're reprimanded by our neighbors for not following the God of their Bibles. You're right, Scott. I know that's happening in Chicago. I know that's happening in New York. I know those big cities are full of sin. No, that happened just over a year ago in this town at our library on Main Street that many of us are paying taxes for. Literally being screamed, eyes rolled at. Anyone who is trying to stand for truth was maligned coming out of that meeting. How are we gonna, how are our kids? Let's talk about ourselves, but let's talk about our kids. If this is where it's at today, how are our kids going to be able to stand for truth? Acts chapter four, verse 18. This is what we pray. Acts chapter 4, verse 18, look at this. Then they called them in again, Peter and John. They had the audacity of healing the, the guy who laid, uh, who was sit outside the temple gate, silver and gold I don't have, what I have, give thee in the name of Jesus, give up. They had the audacity of healing this dude. So they went through all these trials, and Peter and John, verse Chapter four, verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves 
whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't, we'll never stop. We're not gonna stop. We must stand. We must allow God to give us the power to stand for truth. Now, this doesn't mean we need to be knuckleheads about it. We do it in love. Recently in a, in, a, in a public meeting, I saw someone take a stand and everything he said was right on. Oh, it was right on. He was biblically correct. Everything he said was spot on. It's a public meeting, wasn't a church meeting. But I'm just telling you that I think it, it went over like a, a lead. It, it just, it wasn't said out of a spirit of love or concern. It was like just the way he presented. There's times when we can share truth in a way that isn't effective, but that doesn't mean we don't boldly share it. Listen, all of us in this room, none of us are perfect. All of us are sinners. We got people who struggle with slander in this place. We got people who struggle with gossip in this place. All of us, but here's the deal. Are we willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask the Lord to help forgive us of this sin? And we don't wanna stay like that. We don't want to stay like that. Listen, if you're hooked to pornography, listen, if you know anyone else that's hooked on pornography, tell them to come to Pathway because we've got an answer for them. It's in Jesus Christ. As they repent and we'll help, we'll get a group of guys to hold you accountable. If we, what do we need to do to help you get set free? Bring it on. You have sexual sin in your life, whether it be homosexuality or you're committing adultery with someone else, whatever that is, I just want to tell you something. Bring it on. Let's, let's give God a chance to move in your life and set you free. We love you enough to not allow you to stay in that. Got pride in your life? Let's see God set you free. But let's stand for truth. Let's not bend. We need power to stand for truth, even if it means we might lose friends, because that's what's going to happen. Just mark my words. As you take a stand for truth and what's right, there are going to be people that aren't going to want to be your friend anymore. And they're not going to want their kids to play with your kids anymore. And, and it's going to affect what happens at the baseball field and the soccer field. and the It's going to be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Even if it means many will tell us in the back rooms they agree with us, but they refuse to say it publicly. I'll never forget uh, I gotta keep moving, but w one time when I took a, a stand for righteousness in a public way, in a public meeting, and I felt like I was standing alone, but I did it. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying, Spirit of God, let me, I did it. And I had people come up and say, I agree with you, but I'm just, you know, I'm saving my, my, I'm saving my, my energies for something else. I, I agree with you, but it's like, if you agree with me, then why'd you stay quiet? Even when we're alone, we need power to stand for truth. And the last one is this. Write this down real quick. Power to stand in faith for the miraculous. Power to stand in faith. Power to stand in faith. I'm going to say for the miraculous, for the supernatural. To stand in faith. This isn't necessarily, I'm not talking saving faith as much as I'm talking like power of God, faith, believing in the supernatural. Um, this is what John Wimber, uh, I, I, I told you last week I was reading one of his books and he calls it doing the stuff. You see, even as I was studying the book of Acts back in May, in a little bit of June, I, I read the book of Acts, and it's like, man, is this, what the, is this what the church is supposed to look like? I think we got some, we got some work to do then, and I know it is, but I want to see that. 
I want to see the book of Acts come alive inside of this church, inside of your family. I want to, I want to do this stuff. John Wimber grew up, in, or he got saved in a church that didn't believe in this stuff. Didn't believe that what you see in the book of Acts is for today. It was only for them to establish a church, which is not where we're at at all. We believe all of it is for today, and God wants to use us in the same way that he used the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts. He's like, and he told his pastor, he's like, when do we get to do this stuff? I want to tell you, John and um, Peter in, in Acts chapter 3, they did the stuff, and they called it out supernaturally. They healed. They, they were able to see that man um, walking and leaping and praising God. In Acts chapter 5, the apostle performed many miraculous signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miracles. In Acts chapter 8, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. A Jesus-centered, spirit-filled church or family is a church or a family that will touch heaven with faith on behalf of others. Stand in faith for the miraculous. Let the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, flow through us. The Holy Spirit's power to drive out evil spirits and the Holy Spirit's power to heal the sick. These are, these are things that accompanied the gospel all the way through. You read it, you study it, look in the gospels, look in the book of Acts. When the, when the, when the gospel is presented, Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again. Along with that was supernatural Power for what? Power to stand in faith for the miraculous. A spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled life is God's way of releasing the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. So here's my question. Do you want it? Would you stand with me? Do you want it? As we conclude, this is what I want you to see this morning. How does God get his people ready for the type of environment where they were going to be called on to stand in the face of persecution? How does God prepare his people to stand for the truth of the word of God? How does God, how does Jesus prepare his people to stand in faith for the miraculous? He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. That's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Listen to me. This is not a denominational thing. This is not a Pentecostal charismatic church thing. This is a Jesus thing. And I want you to join me this morning in praying, Lord, send the fire. Lord, send your power. Yes, I believe there's an initial infilling, and we can talk about that some other time. There's an initial baptism, but the problem is we leak. We need continual fillings of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want you to join me in just a moment. I want to pause as many of you as possible to come and for the next few moments, can we cry out on behalf of this church, on behalf of your family, on behalf of your children, on the behalf, on behalf of, of, of your grandchildren? Can we cry out to God and say, I don't want to just be a comfortable church. 
I wanna be a church on fire. I wanna be a church so full of his presence that whether the preacher says repent or not, people are just drawn to repentance. Even if there's not a word of mention about the miraculous, right in the middle of our worship, people are getting healed. I, I want, we wanna see that kind of a church that kind of, where the, Jesus is the center. It's not Scott, it's not any staff member, it's Jesus, it's Jesus-centered, and it's spirit-empowered, spirit-filled. William Booth, the, the, the Salvation Army guy, he wrote the song, Send the Fire. Consider this first verse, Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host called Pathway Church. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want, we need another Pentecost. Send the fire. 